Before we dive into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you love listening to this show, please take a second and leave a review. It'll help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. Thanks. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace Antidote Edition. In these Antidote podcasts, I speak with professionals and thought leaders that are paving the way for healthier work environments and personal health. This interview with Ruben Guzman will inspire you to take a step back from your day-to-day and reconsider what you're doing for your personal health. He discusses the different levels of successful leadership and what it takes to get there. We all know the detrimental effects an unhappy work arrangement has on our body and soul. And Coach Ruben is here to unravel the daily grind and help us put health and well-being into perspective. Coach Ruben, how are you? Doing great. How about you? Good. I'm great. So I was lucky enough to hear you speak at a Vistage group. The talk that I got to sit in on was on situational leadership and personal health. So you coach executives on how to be more effective leaders, but you also have a background in public health. You're a lifestyle medicine consultant. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you to introduce yourself a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Okay, sounds good. So my name, Ruben J. Guzman, and uh, my initials, MPH, does not stand for the speed that I drive my car. So it stands for Masters in Public Health. And LMP stands for Lifestyle Medicine Professional. And my story begins in terms of looking at leadership and health and the, and the workplace. Uh, it begins when I was choosing to study for the medical college admissions test, I was I just graduated from college, and and I uh, knew I wasn't ready to to take the exam yet. So I was one of those people who worked my way all through college, and so I decided to work in the hospital and study for the exam, which is what I did. And what I worked in the hospital, I started off working as a vampire, so I drew people's blood. <laughs> And then I started to do I started doing everything in the lab, and part of my training was to perhaps become a medical technologist as a backup if I didn't become a physician and go to medical school. And then, after about six months and completing that training, I went to become a pathologist assistant. So that was really quite amazing. So I did that for over a year and a half and I looked at everything that came out of the surgical room, operating room every single day and prepared them for examination. And I also did autopsies. Most of the autopsies were on people who had died from complications of chronic disease. So I got to see what it looks like on the inside when people die from stress, when they die from heart disease, when they die from cancer. And it's not a pretty sight. One autopsy changed everything for me. It was a woman in her mid-70s who had passed away from shortness of breath after a few hours. And the next day, Dr. Glover and I started to proceed on the autopsy. He said to me, Ruben, take careful note. We may never see this again. And he was absolutely correct. Here was a woman in her mid-70s with internal organs as beautiful and pristine and flawless as a newborn. Absolutely extraordinary. 
Careful dissection revealed that she had an undiagnosed ventral septal defect that Dr. Glover said most people with that defect, the perforation between the chambers of the heart, would rarely live past their 20s. She beat the odds by over 50 years. And so Dr. Glover, being the consummate student that he was, was so inquisitive and he said, I need to talk to the family and find out more. So I got to sit in on that meeting and Dr. Glover shared what he had discovered. And then he asked, how did she live? Profound question, right? And so the family shared that this woman was a seventh day Adventist who followed all the rules. So no meat, no dairy, no eggs, no processed foods, no refined sugar, no alcohol, had a garden in her backyard, ate lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, walked five miles a day every day for over 40 years that they knew about, positive, positive attitude, very loving, very compassionate. She was a mother, a grandmother, and a great-grandmother. So that led to a whole series of conversations that Dr. Glover and I had about the connection between lifestyle and longevity. And Dr. Glover was a student of lifestyle. He really was. He was a runner. He was very knowledgeable and meticulous about his diet. And, and one of the things that he challenged me to do was to do research on the Seventh-day Adventist. And back then, there was no real scientific publications, but the, there was information in National Geographic. That's where I found information about them. And Bill Butner, who actually wrote the book on the Blue Zones, had published information. He started his, his research in publishing it in National Geographic first. So the Blue Zones are the five longest living groups of people on the face of the planet, including the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, predominantly the Okinawans in Japan, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, a group in Sardinia, Italy, and also a group in Icaria, Greece. What's interesting here is that we have done enough research on these people to look at what is it that contributes to them living over the age of 100 being healthy and vibrant. And it's all of these lifestyle factors. So there's so much to it. Not only is it their diet, but it's also that they're active, they're out in the sunshine, in the fresh air, they eat lots of fruits and vegetables, they're happy people. You know, it's so interesting. And I would say that people who follow a religion, regardless of the religion, tend to incorporate more of a structure into their daily life, a more principled lifestyle, which not only promotes spirituality, but it also promotes physical health. Yeah. And there's a tremendous amount of focus on those principles of healthy living. You're absolutely correct. And so in all these different situations, regardless of the religion, I mean, it's just these people who are living to over 100, they have healthy lifestyles. And so when I went to medical school, I had that in the background. And I became a little disillusioned because so much of the training in medical school is centered around being able to understand pharmaceutical drugs, quite frankly, pathology and drugs, pathology and drugs, pathology and drugs. You know, so this became disillusioning for me. And I had been studying on my own independently about the Seventh-day Adventists and the people in the blue zones. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I know there's a better way. So I, I talked to my advisor 
and I presented the case to him. I said, I would like to do research. I am interested in actually doing an MD PhD track and doing research and splitting my second year curriculum so I can start to do the literature review. He says, okay, I'll approve that. So I did, I did exactly that. When I finished my literature review, I presented it to my advisor and he says, Ruben, you're on to something. But quite frankly, we don't have the resources here for you. So you may want to consider doing some training in public health. That might be a good place for you to start off with and then finish that up and see where that leads you. You always have the option to come back and finish up as the MD. I said, okay, that sounds better to me. So that's what I did. I went to UCLA, got my master's in public health, loved my program. It was awesome. So that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast is because people in toxic workplaces or bad work environments, they're not healthy mentally, physically, and they're becoming more aware of how miserable they are. And people are sick of it. Absolutely. Because people not only are sick of it, but they're also sick. We have people who are sick and we have leaders who are sick and they are sick not only physically, but mentally, emotionally and spiritually. And see, because those are the four fundamental energies that we have as human beings. It's physical, emotional, mental and spiritual energies, which you cannot separate. You cannot exclude one for the sake of the other. Those four energies are interrelated. So our physical well-being is absolutely going to affect how we feel, how we think, and our sense of purpose. It absolutely does. So interesting that you included leaders and not just the employees, which if you listen to the podcast, most of the stories actually as of now, all of the stories are employee stories who have dealt with a toxic boss, a narcissistic boss. But it's fair to say that, yes, these leaders of these companies are also experiencing unhealthy lifestyles or a lack of balance in their life or a lack of awareness of what a successful and healthy workplace looks like. Yes, Yes, because when you think about it, healthy leaders leads to healthy people and healthy organizations. And so when we're talking about healthy organizations, what most leaders miss, you know, they're, they're worried about a smart organization. A smart organization is profitable, meets all the financial standards. They're doing really well with their marketing and sales and advertising and they're hitting their quarterly goals, all right? That's a smart organization. But a healthy organization has a positive mindset, a growth mindset, it's supportive, it's encouraging, and it enables and empowers people to really thrive in the organization and do well and make a difference, not only for the organization, but for the entire world in which they live. An intelligent leader who embraces health is going to recognize that, oh, having a healthy workforce is actually going to benefit me and my organization in the long run. It's going to lead to greater productivity. It's going to lead to greater retention. It's going to lead to greater profitability. Yes, 
Yes. Every business wants to be profitable. And I understand that you need to be profitable in order to sustain a business. But the focus needs to shift from what can we do to quickly band-aid a situation to make employees happy instead of resolving the true issues. And that is what's so grossly missed by business leaders today. And this is what needs to change. The problem that we face is that this is how it's always been. And it's really hard to get people on board. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Because if you look historically, it's rather interesting. If you look at the history of the American workforce, all right, you really go way back. And we have had a culture going back to using slave labor using cheap labor to accomplish the goals for businesses. And it was all about productivity and profitability. And that's all that mattered. And so people were, one time they were slaves. And then when slavery ended, it became pretty darn close to being slaves. So they always managed to keep the workforce in a place of scarcity consciousness. We've been living in this culture and this country for quite some time, and people are not doing well. They're not thriving. They're just getting by. And so they're in the state of survival, and it's been perpetuated for quite some time. We're realizing now, I mean, especially people in your age group, I mean, the people that are coming up are recognizing this doesn't work anymore. We've got so much more information, and we're starting to share this information widely because of the internet. It's time for a change. We need to recognize the value of each and every human being. We need to recognize that. We need to lead people not as a commodity, but an incredible gift to the world. Every single person has that value. So, I mean, really, it comes down to leadership. A change in leadership where organizations appreciate their employees, they value employees, they see them less as a commodity and more as individuals. Because when you have happy, healthy employees, you're going to have increased productivity, which in turn makes you more profitable. Yes, yes. It's a smart approach because good leaders recognize the power of team They recognize the power of the collective consciousness. They recognize the power of people growing and developing into becoming their best version of themselves and continuing to grow. So they recognize that. And there's not enough leaders that recognize that (laughs) because too, too many leaders that I come across, they're so caught up in the weeds of scarcity consciousness that they can't see their people. They can't see the gifts that they are. They can't see the value that their people hold for them. They got their blinders on. Right. And the problem when organizational leaders have their blinders on is that they don't realize the culture they're creating is toxic. And it stems from them. It starts at the top of any organization, culture is a reflection of leadership. Absolutely correct. I tell leaders this all the time. In fact, it's rather interesting because when I get a group of CEOs and executives all together and we're talking about leadership, I sometimes I ask the question, all right, uh, how many of you have issues, problems, and circumstances that you're really 
confronted by in your organization? And so almost all their hands go up. I said, so let's share just a couple of them. So what are some of your major issues? And so I, I ask a everyone to share like one or two major issues. Most of the time, they're complaining about the people in their organization. Now, here's what is very powerful that I sh share with them. I said, thank you for sharing. I said, here's something that is going to be very humbling and you may not like this. Consider that your organization is always a reflection of your leadership. Hold up this big mirror here. But when you're complaining about your people, you're complaining about your organization, none of you mentioned yourself as the cause of the problems. And you need to start there. Yeah, and that is, that's hard to hear as a leader or a manager of people. I know I'm not always perfect in the way that I manage people, and it is hard to look at yourself. And I would think that there's a lot of managers, leaders out there that have a really hard time with it. I mean, if it's spiraled out of control and they're disconnected, I would think that it's it's almost impossible to get somebody to really look within and change their leadership, change the way that they lead people. Well, most of the time I'm dealing with people who are open-minded and which is a good thing. So they get it even though it's very unsettling. They are, they are unsettled by it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's humbling to confront the ugly truth. It really is. This is a part of leadership, is self-leadership. And I tell them this. I mean, there are, I teach that there are four dimensions of leadership. Self-leadership is the first. So being a better example for others to follow because leadership is by example first and foremost. So as leaders, we have to be willing to be humble enough to recognize we're not perfect. And we're not and we're not going to get better until we have the humility to accept that we need to grow. We need to become willing to become a better leader and we have to start with ourselves. You do need humility to be able to take a step outside of yourself and look at your imperfections. It's a challenge. It's a soul-searching experience. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is not easy to step into leadership as a humble student. It's not. And a lot of people avoid it because they operate from fear. And so when they're operating from fear... Now what happens is that their inner child runs the show. So our fears, our fears are planted early in our lives. Most people don't realize this. I mean, the fears emanate from beliefs that we created about life, about 95% of which were planted before the age of seven. This is part of the work that I do with leaders is recognizing, okay, you've got a subconscious mind that is running the show as a leader. 
So you've got basically this little monkey or this little five-year-old running the program. And you're wondering why you have issues in the sandbox and nobody wants to play in your sandbox. So I tell them, I said, look, you got to get a reality check here. 95% of how you operate during the course of the day is not coming from your conscious wishes and desires. It's coming from the programming of your, from your subconscious. And you're not even aware of what you're doing at all. One of the books that I have the leaders do in investigating self-leadership, there's a great book by Malcolm Goldsmith, and he is a tremendous CEO coach for the Fortune 500 companies. And he wrote this book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's so humbling. It's like, here are the things that you're doing that are keeping you from being an effective leader. It's a slap in the face for a lot of them. I mean, I I put together this list and there's 21 nasty, egregious habits and anybody could have them. But the thing is, particularly for leaders, they are costly, costly, and they get in the way. They get in the way and they don't realize they're doing it because they're doing it subconsciously, not consciously. They're doing subconsciously. And if they really knew the impact of those behaviors, they would think twice about it. Yeah. And, you know, we all have subconscious behavior patterns that can sabotage a situation. It's just more detrimental when you're leading a group of people. One of my favorite authors, speakers, is Carolyn Mace, and she talks a lot about the archetypes or the archetypal patterns that are basically hardwired into us, and everyone has these archetypes, and there's survival archetypes. If you allow these survival archetypes to lead when you're trying to lead people, you're in trouble. Everyone's in trouble. Right, right. Yeah. And the th- here's the thing. It's not just one archetype. <laughs> so we can play, we can play various roles. I call, I call them survival roles. Think of it this way. It, what's very fascinating about this, and this is what we're dealing with when we have a toxic workplace, because we have leaders who are playing out their survival roles. They're in the state of survival. That's why they're leading the way that they are. So this is understanding this. And so there, there are roles that we learn as, as a child and we learn to play out a character. For instance, and here's a dramatic thing to note is for everybody on the podcast to get. We all shift our personality and how we're acting when it comes to Thanksgiving or Christmas with the family. Like how many of us know that we act a different way when we're around certain different groups of people? We do. And that is a subconscious process. It's not intentional. It's something that we do as a state of survival. It's part of how we survive. We learn to adapt and we shift our way of being and our way of interacting with people and our way of communicating and how we feel and everything else. Everything is shifting. So sometimes, for instance, we can play the victim and we say, it's hopeless. There's nothing I can do. Why bother? Sometimes we can play the martyr and the martyr says, oh, you're more important than I am. I don't matter. I'm not good enough. So I'll sacrifice myself for you. And sometimes we can play the rescuer and we say, oh, I'll save you, even if I have to die in the process, because I'm the noble one. 
so we end up doing several things, right? We end up uh, sacrificing our dreams. We end up playing the victim. We end up trying to please others. We end up being a people pleaser. So we do all kinds of different things. So there's many, many different ways in that we, we change our conduct and our behaviors because we're operating from that subconscious state of survival. So that's at play with all these leaders who are struggling because they're not leading effectively. They're operating from their subconscious mind. That's a big part of what has to change because leaders need training. They need extensive growth and development in leadership. And they have to start by looking at themselves. This is powerful. Yeah, it's incredibly hard for anyone to take a deeper look at themselves and look at the things that they need to improve, especially when you're sitting in a position of influence or power within an organization. So what does it take for the leaders that you coach to change? Or what does it take to be successful in change? You know, you could say that there are different traits and personalities, but really they're skills, they're skill sets, and, and it requires, first and foremost, a willingness to be coachable and to be open-minded and to be receptive to the wisdom of others. So there are four dimensions of leadership that I teach. So the first dimension is self-leadership. That's about becoming a better example for others to follow. So raising the bar on being able to lead from a way that you you lead effectively, that people are inspired to actually follow your lead. And that takes a lot of humility. So that's first. The second dimension of leadership that we have to constantly grow and develop in is situational leadership, which is all about how do we as leaders strategically and effectively empower another person to reach their potential? How do we get them to a point where they're fully empowered and responsible for making the decisions without needing me to be around? And that takes a lot of skill to be able to do that and a tremendous amount of communication. General Eric Shinseki, in his great wisdom, he said this, we must love those we lead. Now, that's a tall order. And now I'm not talking about romantic love at all. What I'm talking about is really what, what the, the Greeks call the philia, okay, which is brotherly love, and agape, which is the spiritual love. So we must love. That means we need to accept people for who they are, just the way that they are. Now, we may not agree with what they do, what they think, or what they say. We may not agree, okay? There's a difference between acceptance and agreement. Acceptance, which is powerful love, is being able to accept them for who they are as a human being with no resentment. No resentment whatsoever, all right? It's being able to accept them. Now, you may not agree with what, where they're at as far as their talent level or their competency or their commitment or whatever the case may be. And then you may need to make an appropriate decision. That's okay. But to be able to do that without resentment. And I love what Coach Wooden said that leaders and coaches are able to give correction without resentment. 
challenge that we have in our culture is that we've got far too many leaders who are not open to being coachable. They're regimented and fixed and fanatical about their ways of operating. So as a result, they're very, very stuck. And that creates the most toxic of workplaces. It really does. Their ways of thinking are, it's my way or the highway. (laughs) And so they make it untenable for anybody who's working there. And that's really unfortunate. So a lot of my listeners are people that have been in toxic work situations or are currently in toxic work situations, and they're dealing with these toxic bosses, these horrible work environments. What's your advice to these people that are in a hard situation and they're contemplating what they should do next and how they should manage it? Great question, because, uh, you know, a lot of us have been stuck in those situations. I I certainly have. I've had very unhealthy leaders that I work for, and it's not comfortable at all. It's very stressful. So I tell people, look, let's start with the foundation. Your health is your responsibility and nobody else's, all right? It's not your boss's responsibility. It's not any your mother's responsibility. It's not your father's responsibility. It's your responsibility. So you're completely responsible for your health, for the, for the life that you live, the quality of life that you live. If you get stuck in scarcity consciousness, then you're attracting a leader who is also stuck in scarcity consciousness. This is the challenge that so many people have, is that they they don't realize that everything is energy. So we end up attracting and working in an environment where we have like, you know, like-minded people. We're in the state of scarcity, so are they. And it becomes very stressful. But we have to shift. We have to shift our mindset. So this is really powerful. Now, I recommend people shift their mindset. Um, there's a great book called Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. It's really phenomenal. I recommend that people start reading that book. It's a good book. There's many, many other books that are wonderful, but that's a good place to start. So you have to do the homework on you. The first thing I tell people, if you're in that kind of a situation, you have to look for yourself and be honest with yourself. Is this an unhealthy situation that I have any influence in? Okay, can I influence a change in the environment? Maybe I can ask for a different job, working in a different position, different part of the company, a different department, whatever the case may be. You have to take complete responsibility for your health first and foremost, and then look to see what can you do? What do you have control over? What do you have no control over? We don't have control over another human being. I wish it could be so. But so far, it hasn't worked very well at all. And being a parent taught me that very, very powerfully. (laughs) So you learn really quickly, oh, I do not have control over this little being. No, not one bit whatsoever. So we have to recognize and we have to be honest with ourselves. And then we have to look and see, okay, is this somebody... As this leader, is this a leader who is open and receptive to feedback? Okay, sometimes yes, sometimes no. If this is somebody who is growing as a leader and is open to feedback, 
then your feedback might be very helpful for them to start or to continue in their growth and development and becoming a better leader. So you have to look and see, are they truly authentically open and willing to be coachable? Because being coachable doesn't mean you're only coachable from above. It means you're coachable from everyone. So you have to look and see there. Now, if it turns out that this person is rigid, very fixed, and they're stuck in their way of thinking, then you have to come to grips with your health. You owe it to yourself to no longer be in an abusive relationship with this boss. Okay? You owe it to yourself. I am all for people reclaiming their personal power and stopping the process of abuse. There's no need to be abused by anyone. There really isn't. Okay? So it is imperative that you take time to love yourself, to really love yourself, and to be responsible for your well-being. And this doesn't matter whether it's working for a, an unhealthy boss or it's being in an unhealthy relationship. It's the same thing. You know, if your blood pressure is going up, your cortisol levels are going up, uh, your heart's experiencing palpitations, you're gaining weight, you're not sleeping, and, and you're having a miserable time. That's not healthy. No, it's not healthy. And it can really deplete your well-being. When I talk to my guests, I always like to point out the fact that toxicity was put into their life as a lesson, as a way to guide them in the future so that at the next workplace, they can make the right decisions. They can spot toxicity in its early stages and make the decisions to manage it up front. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, this is one of the things that I, I encourage people to do. You know, get out of the unhealthy work environment and use this as a lesson. And the next time you interview for a job, not only answer the questions that they ask you, but make sure you have a set of questions for them. Now, a lot of times a good interview, they will say at the end of the interview, they'll ask, do you have any questions? Be prepared. Ask them, what is the process for leadership development that you have here at this company? What is your philosophy for being able to allocate time and resources for your leaders and managers to become better leaders? Those kinds of questions will reveal a tremendous amount. How are they truly a growth mindset organization? Are they focused on improving the quality of their relationships and leadership in that organization? Don't be afraid to ask that. If, if I were to interview for a job today, I don't care where it is. I'm going to ask them, all right, do you allocate money and resources for growth and development for your entire leadership team and all managers? How do you do that? And I'm going to drill down. How do you do that? What coursework are they doing? What books are they reading? How are you reviewing that? 
All right. So I'm going to I'm going to drill into that. And how do you check in with people regarding the quality of the leadership? Do you have surveys that you take amongst your workforce so that you can actually assess the job that your leadership team is doing? I'm going to drill in. I'm going to ask lots of questions about how they lead their leaders. Because that's imperative for a quality organization to exist. You've got to have a commitment from the top that they're going to develop their leaders to be the best quality leaders possible. So to fuel a good culture, an organization has to place emphasis on developing leaders, which turns into a cycle, right? Leaders develop leaders, which leads to longevity and prosperity, and all of that relies on developing leadership. Good leadership and good culture goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Exactly. Yeah. So it really is a big part of how the organization has to work from the top. They have to recognize this and support this. Right? You know, we, we develop leaders and you, you groom them so that you develop people, you develop your team. And that's the third dimension of leadership is team leadership, being able to get an, a diverse group of people to grab one rope and pull in one direction. But good leaders are going to develop good teams. And from the development of good teams will come the next generation of good leaders. And so it's really important that you invest in developing your leaders so you can have that grooming of the future. And that becomes part of the fourth dimension of leadership, which is creating an, an organizational culture that is thriving instead of surviving. So that's why it needs to be part of the interview process. When you interview for a job, make sure you interview them. Yeah, hopefully the more we understand about healthy leadership, the more commonplace it becomes. We're definitely at this pivotal time in the workplace where we're becoming less rigid and more empowering. I think more and more people are realizing their power. Times are changing. Yeah, the times are changing. Leaders cannot get blind followers who are, you know, just intelligent enough to do exactly what they're being told to do and never question uh, the, the philosophy of the organization or the leadership organization. Those times are changing. Leaders have to realize you've got an opportunity to have an actively engaged workforce who brings their intelligence, their passion, their commitments, and their hope for the future. They don't want just the, the same old, same old. They've seen all the movies, okay? They don't want that old package. No, that's not going to cut it anymore. They want a quality of life. They've watched too many people who have worked to the bones their entire life, retired, and died within a couple of short years because the quality of life was so miserable during the entire time that they worked those 20, 30, 40 years that they ended up being, there was nothing left for them at the end. And they were sick, they were, they were chronically ill, and they had all these medical bills, and their, their lifespan was just horrible. Their, their quality of life deteriorated so rapidly. So people that are young today are realizing, mm, no, we don't have to do it that way. We can change the quality of our life so we can actually have an improved quality of life now while we're young and have a quality of career all the way through our life and be purposeful 
and make a difference on the face of the planet for the rest of our lives. And this is what we want. Absolutely. And I think that message is being heard. It's being heard more and more as the younger generations take up a larger portion of the workforce, right? I think there's hope for more empowering workplaces and better leadership in the near future. I mean, we're already seeing a new sort of corporate culture emerging with the Googles and the startup tech type companies of the world, right? Mm hmm. I mean, this is why I'm very excited to buy a lot of the new companies that are coming up by the younger people who are heading them up. They're so passionate and they're so purposeful in making a difference in this, in this world and making a difference at community level and a growth level. And it's very exciting to see. I just love seeing that. I know. I love to see that, too, because it's promising. It's promising for the future of the workplace. It's not all about money anymore. I mean, it's always going to be about providing for yourself and your family, but there's so much more to it than just a monetary gain. Sure, sure. Um, you know, let me add one quote. It was um, it's kind of a good way to wrap up our conversation. When asked what surprised him most about humanity... The Dalai Lama answered, man sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he is never going to die and then dies having never really lived. That is powerful. That resonates so much with every aspect of this conversation. Coach Ruben is full of inspiration to take back your life, to take back your health. He has a great website. There's all kinds of resources and blogs. It's CoachRuben.com. Um, Ruben, what are some of the services and things that you offer? So some of the things that I offer on the executive level, I do professional performance coaching. I work one-on-one -on -one with uh, executives or professionals who want to improve their professional performance at, in any area, in all areas. So it's very comprehensive. And a lot of times that includes their health, their relationships, their sleep habits, their communication habits, their time management. So a lot of things there. I do specialize in leadership development. I love taking organizational leaders, especially junior executives, and empowering them to be effective leaders, to really understand the foundations for e effective and essential leadership. So that's those are two of my offerings with leadership. And they all go together with what I do with health as well. So in terms of health, I do offer lifestyle medicine consultations. I will work with somebody individually to help them to design an individual lifestyle medicine health plan so that they have an idea of what they need to prioritize in seven major areas of their health. And it gets them a good start. 
I also have a group coaching program. It's phenomenal. It's transformational. It's the only real transformational program uh, for lifestyle medicine. So it's a 12-week lifestyle medicine immersion program. It's called Evolving Health. And what I do is I take people through two intensive weekends where we do the work of rewiring the subconscious mind. I give them the, the strategy. I lay out a proven strategy that's evidence-based based on a lifestyle medicine approach to all the different areas of their lifestyle. We set up an arena for support and accountability, which is so exciting because we all perform better when we have positive support and accountability. And then I teach them and get them started on developing a track record of consistency because the way for us to be successful is to develop those tiny little habits sequentially and progressively that produce results. Habits produce results. So it's a very exciting group coaching program. I've had people successfully reverse their diabetes, reverse their heart disease, reverse cancer. I had one woman, she came into my program, a retired nurse, and she had lost a lot of weight, but she still had a ways to go. And she was still dealing with blood pressure and atrial fibrillation and difficulty walking, very, very great amount of difficulty in arthritic knees. And so we did the fine tuning with the course during, during the course of the programs. And she did it four times. <laughs> it's designed to help people improve a different area of their life each time. So she took on four different areas of her life, each program. And as a result, uh, she started walking when COVID hit and she started walking a lot. And so she walked with her friends and she would do that. And then uh, Thanksgiving day of 2019, she did a 10K in an hour and 41 minutes Two weeks later, she completed a marathon for the first time at, at the age of 69. And she's lost 70 pounds. She'll be the first one to tell you she's living her best life now. Yeah. And then I also do lifestyle and performance medicine immersion programs and, and programs for the workplace. So I will come in and do uh, wh whether it's seminars, whether it's an entire comprehensive program, everything in between. So I do that for the workplace. It's exciting because to me, a healthy workforce is a fully productive workforce. It really makes a huge difference. And if you're a smart employer, you want your employees to be optimally productive and you want them healthy. And it makes a difference for retention. It makes a, re a difference for productivity and it makes a difference for profitability. It absolutely does long term. And my website is coachrubin.com. And if you go to my website and on the top, there's a tab for videos. And if you click on that, that will take you directly to my YouTube channel. So I've got lots of YouTubes. In fact, I'm going to be recording a whole bunch more. I have some of my recorded webinars. So there's lots of information, everything from communication to relationships to stress management, Alzheimer's, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, kidney disease, lots of different things that I address from a lifestyle medicine perspective. So there's plenty of resources there. And please share that with lots of people. I tell people this, please share it because you never know. You just might save somebody's life by being able to give them information that can make a difference. I have had people come back to me 
after attending a seminar for free. I had one gentleman, he was an administrator for a school district. And so very bright, very intelligent man. His wife had been trying to persuade him to change his lifestyle and he was resistant. And then he came to one of my seminars on diabetes because he had been suffering with diabetes for over 20 years. And so he, he attended the seminar and he said, Ruben, you're the first person's ever made sense out of everything that you shared with me completely makes sense. So he came to the seminar for free. He did everything I shared with him. All right. Three months later, he came to another seminar. He was 35 pounds lighter and off of all medications. He was a totally different human being. I, I tell people this all the time. The value of your health is priceless. It's priceless. I mean, you, I mean, quite frankly, you cannot pay me enough. Just do the work <laughs> and then tell me about it. That will be my reward and it will be absolutely invaluable. I love seeing people transform their lives. I know my listeners want to transform their lives. Your message is so powerful. Coach Ruben, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and sharing your message with the Toxic Workplace podcast. You're most welcome, Carla. It's absolutely an honor. So thank you. If you didn't catch the books that Coach Ruben recommended or you want links to his website or YouTube channel, check out the podcast notes.